Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast. And today, I want to start out by reminding you that there is more to this brand and podcast, right? There is the website, wealthformula.com. Uh, you know, we're also on all sorts of, we're, we're on uh, YouTube in case you are, you've only been listening. You can actually watch me. I'm not much to look at, but, but you can watch. And also uh, Twitter, Facebook, all the usual suspects. All you have to do is search for Wealth Formula and you can get into uh, a little bit of the more uh, in-depth with the brand if you like it. Um, by the way, if you go to wealthformula.com, you can still get a copy of my best-selling book, Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. Uh, you can download that as a PDF or you can simply text me at 44222 and type Wealth Formula. One word. Don't let the autocorrect screw you up there. 44222 Wealth Formula. And you can get a copy of... Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. Now, also, I want to remind you that if you really want to get involved with what we're doing here at Wealth Formula, there's an entire course, a forum, a community, bi-weekly mastermind calls, all that stuff. And if you're interested in checking it out, go to wealthformularoadmap.com, become part of the Wealth Formula Network, which comes with an amazing course to try to put everybody on the same page, which includes the likes of Tom Wheelwright, the real estate guys, Kevin Day, Dean Graziosi, um, Christian Allen. There's a bunch of guys on there. Anyway, they are all phenomenal, and it's all meant to give you a roadmap to real wealth. Check it out at wealthformularoadmap.com. One last thing I should mention is don't forget you can also leave comments and questions on speakpipe at wealthformula.com. That's also a very useful tool for you to get in touch with me. Uh, don't, by the way, leave me messages to call you back on there because that, that's usually not what it's for. It's actually for you to make comments and that sort of thing on, uh, that I can play on the show. For, for example, for the next Ask Buck show, if you're interested, for example, in investing uh, and getting involved with Investor Club and things like that, then just join Investor Club at wealthformula.com. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's, that's that. Um, now let's talk a little bit about uh, today and today's topic. I'm sure many uh, of you know, you probably know, 
uh, that, you know, I'm a physician, right? I mean, there's a, there's, that's part of my brand. I'm, I'm, I'm an ex-physician. So um, if you're, you know, a highly trained, high paid professional, I've lived that life, been there, done that. In fact, uh, you know, I'm a surgeon. I've had training in all sorts of stuff. I kind of bounced around because I couldn't make up my mind like everything else in my life, uh, except for my wife, fortunately, which uh, I think that makes everything uh, much better uh, when, you, when you can decide on that one and, and not move around much. Um, <clears throat> but the <clears throat> career pathway, you know, I moved around. I transferred colleges because one wasn't a good fit, and then I went to uh, and then I went to med school, and then I started out in neurosurgery. Yes, indeed, I did the brain surgery thing, and I did a couple years of that, and then moved on, had neck surgery uh, outside of the brain, because the brain seemed to always have emergencies. They're inconvenient and not good for my lifestyle, so I had to get out of that. Then I did some cosmetics training, et cetera, et cetera, but you know, in terms of looking back, what I found the most interesting intellectually, uh, this is probably not going to be a big surprise to you, was uh, the brain and neurosurgery. And uh, that, was, that was back in the days when I was a hardcore academic guy. Uh, and one thing that I learned during that period of time was about something called the prefrontal cortex, right? And like it sounds, it's just behind your forehead and right behind the frontal sinuses there. And it is I think the best way to describe it is the CEO of the brain. It's involved with personality, with decision-making, moderating social behavior, uh, which includes, of course, impulse control and risk-taking. Uh, you may not, therefore, be surprised to learn that this structure matures in life. Um, that's why teenagers are so reckless frequently because they have an immature prefrontal cortex. In fact, one study found that the prefrontal cortex may uh, actually continue maturing into your 40s, and that doesn't surprise me. Um, and again, the brain of the teenager is typically poorly developed, and that's reflected in the behaviors that you might not have that you might have experienced yourself back in the day. Now, I look back. And think about some of the things I did back then. I wonder how I made it alive. Uh, but, you know, uh, back, back then you can do a lot. You know, when you have the physical strength and, and, and agility and um, everything's young, you can, you can handle a lot more than when you're an older person. Not that I feel like I'm really old, but, you know, I'm 44. I'm not 24 anymore. But, you know, it's, it's funny when you think about it, right? It's curious, in fact, to me why it takes so long for this part of the brain to develop. Why would it take that long? After all, it's where all the wisdom resides. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we had the wisdom that we have in our 40s, back when we're in our teens and 20s, early 20s? Wouldn't that be great? I was not one of those. I know there are some people who have significant, uh, you know, I guess, uh, early maturity in that area, but that was not me. You know, part of me thinks that the reason for this, that the prefrontal cortex development into our late 30s and early 40s is designed ultimately from an evolutionary standpoint to compensate for our relative physical decline. What do I mean by that? Well, in other words, we find other ways to be useful to society, 
to be useful to the tribe since we can't hunt or, or even reproduce maybe the same way we used to. I mean, no offense. It's not like I have a problem with anything like that. But, but anyway, the, the tribal elders back then in the day, uh, you know, they were considered to be the one uh, with wisdom. And understand that the idea of people living into their 80s and stuff like that, I mean, this is a modern phenomenon, right? The turn of the last century, we were talking about a global, uh, global uh, average lifespan of 30 years or less. And so, you know, to, to make it to those, you know, those wisdom years into your late 30s and 40s, well, uh, that, that was when you got your wisdom. That's when you had your prefrontal cortex well-developed. Uh, and in that regard, and maybe for that reason, uh, it gave the rest of the tribe a reason to keep you around rather than just pushing you off a cliff because you weren't really helpful to society anymore. Whatever the evolutionary purpose for this late development of wisdom in our lives, I can say with some certainty that I actually personally have felt this palpable change in my own life. And the irony of it is that it happened after I was a neurosurgery person. Before actually, you know, I saw the prefrontal cortex with my own eyes in a living human being before my own seemed to develop. Anyway, I have become wiser in the last 10 years, for sure. I actually feel smarter today at 44 than I ever have in my life. And to be clear, I'm not sure if I could study with the same intensity now that I did in 20 years ago in medical school. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if my recall would be quite as acute. I don't know if that's the case. It might be. I don't know. It just might be that I'm lazy now or I'm too smart to think that I would ever sit down for that much time and that it was worth it. Um, but when I say I'm smarter, what I mean by that in very broad terms is that now uh, at 44, I see the world with far more clarity than I did when I was 24. I'm a very different person. So for me, the most profound change in my thinking has been the recognition of traditional paradigms and of conventional wisdom. I've talked about this maybe ad nauseum on this show, but it's a really important point. It used to be the case that I never really questioned anything. It never occurred to me to do so. It wasn't because you know, I just believed everybody because they were right. I just, you know, I mean, I didn't even think about them being wrong, right? These days, um, I, I, I like to examine my own belief systems in all as aspects of my life. And frankly, I'm not afraid to challenge them anymore. And it's actually very, very liberating. You know, it does take some courage to do this. And for those of you who have gone down this path, you know this, our belief systems are shaped throughout our life. And, and they're so deeply ingrained. They're so deeply ingrained in us that sometimes that when we start doubting, like we become doubters, we become, you know, it's almost like you're, you're doing something wrong, or you're violating a, you know, a religion or something and you're sinning. It feels like we're doing something wrong. Of course, you know, belief systems permeate all facets of our life not just religion. Um, and this Wealth Formula show is all about wealth. So let me use a relevant example uh, in the investing world. And uh, this 
probably comes as a, will, will, will ring a bell, so to speak. This is not something that you haven't seen before because I talk to accredited investors almost every day and I often hear them talk about conservative investing. You know, I, I'm generally a conservative investor, so I don't want to go crazy here. That's what they'll say. What does con conservative investing mean? That's what I got to ask, right? That's really where you have to start saying, hey, uh, my prefrontal cortex is asking the question, what is conservative? Because I wouldn't have asked that when I was 24. Well, conventional wisdom has drilled it into us that conservative investing is basically to maximize your 401k or IRA and let a wealth advisor put you in a portfolio of mutual funds. Now, I know you're smarter than that, otherwise you wouldn't be listening to this show. But that idea still may resonate with you a little bit because it sounds like the safe thing to do. That is, after all, what we were taught is the conservative thing to do. That's been drilled into you for so long. But ask yourself the question, why is it conservative? Why is my brain keep thinking of that as like sort of the baseline, the place where you're safe, you know, the safe harbor? Mutual funds have yielded an average of about 3% yield over the past three decades. What does that mean? Well, with inflation moving at around 2%, well, that gives you about a 1% real growth in your money every year. You see, there's something called the rule of 72, and you, you take 72 and divide it by the percentage yield on a yearly basis of your money. So 72 divided by 1% is 72 years. It would take you 72 years to double your money. What makes that conservative? Can you tell me that? I mean, seriously. Of course, you could also just keep your money in the bank, and that's conservative too, right? I mean, people say that's a conservative thing to save your money and maybe put it in something that yields less than 1%. Is that conservative? Why is that conservative? Why is that safe? With inflation, you would guarantee that you would lose money over time. Is that safe? No. Is that conservative? No, that's a guarantee to lose money over time. Meanwhile, Wall Street has labeled real estate and other tangible investments as alternative. I'm putting my fingers up in quotes here, alternative. Now, what comes to your mind when you think of that word alternative, right? What conjures up in your, uh, your mind? Blue hair, pierced body parts maybe? Indeed, the language is there for a purpose it's there to guide your thinking. After all, owning real estate and other tangible assets is what the richest families in the world have been doing for centuries, far before there was ever an equity market, like the New York Stock Exchange, for example. So why, so why are we supposed to be scared of it? Why do wealth advisors in your own family, I know I've heard this from many of you, why do they tell you that you are doing something wrong when you are talking about investing in anything outside of Wall Street. They do it because they can, because it has become conventional wisdom. The problem is, and this is the key thing, this is the key takeaway, where your prefrontal cortex has to come in and say, no, this is not true. This is a paradigm 
but all paradigms are not true. I'm, I'm at, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a village elder. I'm, I'm a tribal leader. I can tell you now that this doesn't make any sense after all. And why? Why then do they tell you that? Well, it's because conventional wisdom, in fact, is often wrong. Paradigms are often wrong. Not only that, but paradigms and conventional wisdom can often be and often are created by Wall Street, you know, special interest groups like Wall Street. Just, you don't believe me. I mean, listen, you got, you got this whole thing. I've talked about it before, but there's this whole, you know, thing back when we were growing up back in the uh, 80s, 90s, probably even, I don't know. But I remember seeing the food pyramid on the uh, the food pyramid poster in class and everybody thought that it was the, the way you're supposed to eat. Remember what the food pyramid looked like? You're supposed to jam pack your diet with carbohydrates. And as it turned out, um, that's what we thought was, was right, right? That was the right thing to do. And um, as it turned out, that, was, that, that whole thing uh, came out of a, a Harvard study that was done in the 50s that was uh, funded by the sugar industry that basically told people that that basically uh, told people that that sugar did not have anything to do with cardiac disease and we know that that's wrong now so again uh the idea here is that conventional wisdom is not always right and it can be influenced by special interests you don't there's so many times this has happened in history you have to start believing that now this is the perfect topic for um, my guest today, uh, David Phelps. David, like me, started out in, in the health profession. David was a dentist, um, and he discovered this uh, paradigm uh, and this conventional wisdom be wrong when it, at a pretty young age, too, and he's done a very good job over the last several decades in educating people on uh, other ways to look at the world. So when we come back, David Phelps. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder the stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest is Dr. David Phelps, DDS. Now, uh... A lot of you already know uh, David because you are in his group, or maybe you're a dentist who's uh, who's heard of him. He's been around for a long time. He was actually, I would say that he's 
been Buck Joffrey much longer than Buck Joffrey has been Buck Joffrey. Uh, he's a nationally recognized speaker on creating freedom, uh, building real, you know, real business and investing in, in real estate. He also combines his professional and personal experiences to illustrate how the tactical and aspirational work together. Uh, David works with with health professionals, you know, logical, rational professionals, and helps them to become dreamers and then strategically manifest those dreams into freedom. He authors a monthly newsletter, which is a path to freedom, and hosts the Dentist Freedom Blueprint podcast. Uh, he also has his Freedom Founders Mastermind community, of which I know a number of you are part of, which is growing exponentially year by year. Uh, David, it's a real, uh, real thrill to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Buck, uh, love, love being here. Thank you very much for having me. So um, tell us how it all began, David. I mean, this is, you know, obviously you, you started out as a dentist. Um, you had your own practice, I know, and this, this started a while back, and then you kind of pivoted into the world of real estate. So how to give us a little background on that. Yeah, it's it's actually the other way around, Buck, and I'll and I'll I'll, I'll tell you that uh, not unlike you at all, and probably a lot of people that are listening to this podcast, you know, my entrepreneurial spirits were within me from a very early age. Mm -hmm. um, I my my parents were very good parents; they didn't spoil me, spoil us as kids. If we wanted something in life, something tangible like the a new bike uh, or or back then just having uh, my own little not not a color but a black and white TV in my room, you know. I had to go out and, and figure out a way to buy that. Uh, I wasn't given an allowance. I was and parents wouldn't just go buy it. So I learned early, you know, how to how to make money. Uh, right. And I I sold greeting cards uh, from door to door, uh, mowed lawns, you know, through the newspaper, did whatever it took to make some money so I could you know buy stuff, buy things uh, that I thought were important to me in life. My father was a physician, so there was a natural path that I was going to go down because, well, not that they forced me to do that, but right. it's just. You know, I was I was around that world. I saw, I saw my dad was respected in the community. Uh, yes, he was able to provide a good lifestyle, uh, but uh, I, I made a, I made a little diversion to to dentistry because I I became kind of a mentee of my orthodontist when I was in junior high, late junior high, high school. I had this orthodontist who I just who really took a kind of a little affinity to to me. I, yeah. I think, uh, and I saw him as someone who who again had all the things that I thought were what I wanted in life. Uh, but he also got to go home at the end of the day. Uh, yeah, so my yeah, dad right. who didn't always go get home at the end of the day, you're a surgeon, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't just get to set your own hours. So I thought, okay, I'll go down the dental path. Um, but here's, here's, here's the, here's the thing. I, when I was in college, Buck, I was reading books about, you know, how to invest money. Now I didn't have any money to invest. <laughs> I had debt. So, so it was fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been reading books about how to, how to retire debt, but now I just I don't want to learn how to invest money that I didn't have. Um, but you know, I, I was I I, um, I read books on on the stock market, right? Books about mutual funds and all that stuff, and and I read books, got a few books about, about real estate. And I realized back in those days, Buck, and and and, and my notes to a lot of you on this podcast today, uh, there was no internet. All right, <laughs> <laughs> there was no Facebook, there was no forums, there was none of that stuff. I actually had to go to the library. I couldn't yeah. even order off of Amazon. I had yeah. to go to a library and present a card, but there were actually books about real estate back then. This is the late seventies. And I, and I, so I read those books between real estate and the stock market and, and stock market just made no sense. I mean, I, I couldn't yeah. figure out how right. I could actually exert any kind of 
control. And, and I'm, I'm kind of a control freak in life. I want to understand what I'm doing. I want to be able to call, call some shots and whether they're good or bad, I want to feel like, you know, I had a play in it and real estate made sense. So I graduated college, went to dental school. My first year entering dental school, I said, Hey dad, I said, I'm going to be here for four years. I can either pay rent or we could, and the key word here was we, <laughs> we can own an asset <laughs> called real estate. Yeah. Uh, he never, he never invested in, in real estate. Um, you know, unlike your father, who was, who was very much involved in real estate. My dad was a physician, you know, right. he, as entrepreneurial as you get, you know, having your own clinic. Right. And so he, he trusted me and he said, okay, I came down to Dallas. We spent a couple of weekends looking around and uh, key thing I knew about real estate, really the fundamental thing I knew was, uh, you know, buy the worst property in the best location. And we right. did, we did right. fast forward four years. I, you know, I was the manager of the property. He was a financier, the capital investor. I had two tenants during four years, not too bad, not too bad for a first time out of the gate, right? Um, you know, first, first, first tenants were not so good. I got, I got some, uh, some SMU students uh, <laughs> that, that weren't the best tenants, but I, fortunately I, I got their parents to co-sign. So uh, damage <laughs> they did was taken care of. Next, next tenant was, I got a family, much smarter move. But here's the thing, here's the thing, Buck. I waited tables all through college and dental school and actually a pretty good, good restaurant. Flexible hours, made some pretty good money, probably made about 20 bucks an hour. Not bad for back in the 80s, yeah, right? Yeah. Then I took the hours that I, that I spent or invested on this capital asset, this real estate joint venture rental property that I bought with my dad's help. And I made, if I took all those hours and, and, and what I made on the back end, which is we split the capital gain profit. We made yeah. about 50,000 bucks yeah. in four years, wow. capital gain. That's great. So I took my 25,000 and, and recalculated and put the hours I put into that. I made about 260 per hour, a little bit more of a 10 times multiple over what I did back then trading time for dollars in a restaurant. Yeah. And I thought that was my epiphany. That was, I thought, okay, yeah, I'm going to go on and become a dentist and I'm going to do that well. And I, that's, that'll structure my basic lifestyle. But this capital asset, I didn't even know what a capital asset was back then. I just call it rental property. That's what it was. This rental property thing that worked out a little bit by luck, but more, more than times than not, it was, it was, it was the opportunity was there. We didn't make any big mistakes and it produced more income for me with less work. And I thought there's something to this. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about something called the gap and um, specifically, you know, you, I've heard you say that, you know, dental, dental schools fail to reach, uh, you know, what they feel to teach you and how you can overcome it. But really, I think you're talking about money there. And I, and I think you're, and I think it's really not just dentists. It's certainly physicians. And I, I think, I think pretty much all professionals seem to have this, uh, this problem. It's just, you know, it just seems like the, uh, the closer you are in the physician where you're a doctor, doctors are the worst. Dentists are at least a little bit better than, than us. But, but it seems like there's a, uh, there, there is that element of it, but there, um, to the extent that all professionals who are hyper focused on um, what it is, the skill or, or you know, the art that they're learning, they don't really get taught anything about money, right? Is is that what right. you mean by the gap? Well, yeah, that's I mean that's one of the gaps we talk about. So certainly there's a yeah there's a gap in financial acumen. The as you said, the whole premise when we go through all these years of education to become. Uh, you know, experts in a specific skill set, um, surgery, diagnostics, treatment, uh, and that and that, that's that's honored. That's very reputable, and and certainly in doing those things, we do change lives, and there's that's very satisfying. Yes, the problem is, Buck, there's no leverage in that. You can you can certainly improve yourself. You can become a better surgeon, a better dentist, a better clinician. 
you can uh, you can be more efficient in what you do. You can actually do uh, larger cases, uh, larger rehabilitation cases, and you know essentially make more money per hour spent. But there's a cap on that. You just yeah. you can't explode that past a certain point, and we we don't recognize that when we're in school and thinking about you know becoming who we who we eventually become in our in our lives. We don't really recognize that that churning that hard in in trading time for dollars really doesn't lead, lead to freedom because the big problem is is as as we start to start to earn more money, you know, our lifestyle typically goes up with it at the same time. In fact, sometimes even faster. Yeah. Well, why is that? Because we feel like we sacrifice. We've sacrificed all these years when some of our buddies out of college have gone on and they're in business and they're yep. on Wall Street yeah. or whatever. Yeah. They're, li they're living life and we're going, man, I got to catch up with that. You know, I deserve it. You know, and, and we got families, we got spouses who will probably put up with our our stuff and all those lean years. And they're saying, yeah, come on, come on. We're, you know, we're, let's move let's move to the, to the better neighborhood and let's let's amp it up and that's when it starts to fall apart because once you get on that hamster wheel it's really hard to dial yeah, it back it's, it's what i call the the golden handcuffs yes right? right keeping up with the joneses or the working the working uh you know the working rich <laughs> yep, <laughs> you have exactly. to just keep working to, to keep up your lifestyle now uh, you know you, you also talk about the accumulation theory of wall street and that's going to leave 96% uh, of people unable to retire. Talk a little bit about what you mean with the accumulation theory and, you know, what's, what's a better way of doing it? Yeah, you know, what traditional conventional financial planning, we, we hear it, we read it, you can read it in Kiplinger and Money Magazine and, and uh, certainly the uh, financial uh, houses, uh, the Fidelities and Vanguards and Schwabs and anybody you talk to will talk about, you know, early in life, it's very important you start to save money. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I mean, we need to be disciplined. We need to be able to, uh, you know, take a certain amount of money off the table and put it somewhere. But they talk about saving, saving, so, so accumulating. And then, of course, Wall Street wants you to hand it over to somebody there to put it into financial products, which they, uh, you know, claim will grow and someday will have this oak tree that you can start picking the fruit off of. Uh, but this whole accumulation game, I think, is wrong, Buck, because it, what does it teach anybody? Discipline, Yes. But beyond discipline, if you can have that discipline, does it teach anybody how to actually orchestrate the real lifeblood of having freedom? And that's cash flow. You know, just having accumulated stack of, of money or capital that you cannot actually see how to sustain cash flow, what good does it do you? And that's why so many of our colleagues, as hard as they work, and even if they do stack up a million, a million and a half, two million bucks, which you know, you and I would say is a is you know a decent amount of money, but the fear there is is, is a real fear. It's like, okay, I want to retire. I want to slow down. I want to leave the practice and live off of what I've accumulated, but I'm scared to death because, well, where's it been? Uh, in, in the financial, in, in Wall Street? Uh, let's see, what happened 10 years ago? Yeah, it blew out. And, and, I, and I could ride through that because I was still working. Well, if I, if I quit now and I don't have any active income anymore, and if we have another blowout, where am I? I got to go back to work. They haven't ever figured out how to orchestrate cash flow. That's why you and I love tangible assets, uh, real businesses uh, or, or real estate, uh, anything that, that you can actually have some level of control over. It's not, it's not perfect, but you can exert control and therefore have predictability. And tangible assets also will greatly mimic you know, inflation, which I think we're probably going to see some heavy inflation in years to come. That's another scare, yep. scare factor, fear factor that people who are getting quite ready to quote retire have is like, well, I've accumulated this much. Is it going to last? 
and the cost of living, I don't think it's going to go down. It's going to just go up and up. Taxes are going to go up. So we have all these factors working against us. If you've never learned how to, how to overcome those through your investing, then you're, you're in a position where you have so many unknowns that you just can't let go. I think one of the, one of the things that you mentioned is, uh, is part of this accumulation theory, and I think part of what, what the trap is for professionals is that there are um, so many of these prefabricated retirement plans. You know, you have these, you know, you know, are you going to a job and all of a sudden they say, well, we're going to give you a 401k. What does that mean to most people? What it really means is, okay, so then I don't have to pay any attention to retirement yeah. because yeah. it's going to go on autopilot. But most most of these 401ks end up ultimately being uh, invested into a basket of mutual funds. And as you know, the last three decades, the average yield on a mutual fund, despite what the market has done, has been between three and three and a half percent. And if inflation's going at two, two plus, um, you're not, you know, you're doubling your money of about every 72 years, which is just not <laughs> enough. Right. No. But I think I think that's a real trap, because like you said, I, I am looking at people. I talk to people frequently who are now who've been making a lot of money throughout their life. Um, and then they've been spending a lot. Uh, you know, they, they, they're buying stuff, living a good life. And it's not because they thought they were being irresponsible. They just thought the system was going to take care of them. And then all of a sudden they're 60 in their sixties. And, you know, maybe they've gone through a divorce or something like that. And they're like, Holy cow, I was making mid six figures for, you know, two, three decades. And I've only got this amount to live on. If I were to retire, how am I going to outlive this pile? Do you see that uh, often? I, I see it a lot, Buck. Unfortunately, and that's and there's there's little you can do to help someone in that position. You know, I I say kind of the the mean age that I get you know calls from or or communication with would be dentists who are about fifty nine years old. So right at that 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 point yeah, where they're going right, to turn right. sixty, and they're yeah. still in practice and and. And yeah, they and, and oftentimes they've gone through a divorce, sometimes multiple. Yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. I always say that's that's not a wealth wealth building. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. You know, just, you know if you, you know, it's, I don't mean a tangent off here, but but you know, a lot of times people get get all worked up about about um, asset protection, right? I got, I got <laughs> right. my assets, protect my assets. I go, you know, one of the big ones is just don't get divorced. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, it, you, you know, know you knock on wood. You a lot of time I'm, in trouble but... if you just follow that one rule. <laughs> is uh, figure that one out. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm being a little bit facetious because I, I unfortunately have been through a divorce, so I, right. I, I can I can laugh a little bit at the same time. But I, it, it is a serious thing. But you know, back back to your back to your your premise um, is that yeah, they've worked all their life. They literally had millions of dollars flow through their practices. You know, millions. Uh, and and what they had to show for it, uh, oftentimes still a fair amount of debt, uh, business debt, practice debt, consumer debt. Um, they're still trying to. They still think it's on them uh, to put three, four kids through graduate school, uh, which is another discussion for another day, but but they've loaded themselves up. They never had a plan. They thought, as you said, the system or just putting it you know, on Wall Street in the 401k, the traditional plan was gonna do it. And it doesn't, it doesn't because they were they were never intentionally in the game. They, they kind of abdicated it and I get it. They're busy, we're all busy, right? But but getting to freedom, which is which is the key, you know, you, we can build up a lot of money, but we can't buy time back. Time is everything in life. And if, if you don't have that time, uh, then then you really have nothing at all. And so I, I encourage people as, as, as busy as they are, as hard as they work, as many plates as they have to spin, you know, in their lives. I get it. I get it. 
but you've got to you've got to be intentional about building this wealth and doing it the right way from the get-go uh, because that's what's going to going to give you something that you can have a plan b you can let let go of your active practice at some point if you want to or if you have to uh and you're not stuck you know looking at you know, backward in your life and going well what happened uh, you talk about creating a, a freedom blueprint. Now, let's let's take that example of somebody who comes into you at fifty nine and a half, well. <laughs> and 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 says, you know, I've got I've got this practice, I'm uh, clearing like you know three hundred thousand dollars a year of net income, but I've only got about one point two million here, and I've stashed it away. It's been uh, it's been quote unquote, growing in mutual funds during this period of time. And I haven't done anything else because I figured that was going to take care of it. David, I, all of a sudden I'm looking at this and I'm saying, this is not going to be enough for me to retire on in five years like I had planned. Yeah. Obviously, everybody's situation is different, but how do you, where do you start in a situation like that? Yeah, well, first and foremost, Buck, you, you, you know, assuming, assuming we've got, you know, a married, a married couple, yeah. that, that assumption, um, you've, you've, you've got to make sure that, that both are on board and, and that's, that's not always going to be right off the get go. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, you know, and I'm not a marriage counselor and I'm, I'm not a financial <laughs> advisor, you know, what I'm like, you know, I'm an educator. So, right. but I can be very practical and say, you know, number one, uh, you can't go have a blame game, you know, because what happens so often in life is that, is that two people are on, are on two different pathways. And many times, um, the, and not being chauvinistic here, but let's say that, you know, the, the, the doctor uh, being the male, you know, being out there, the breadwinner or heavy breadwinner, doing heavy load, uh, you know, has all these mishaps in failure to, you know, plan or be a good manager of the money. Just, it just, it happens. And he has to stuff all that, all that um, inside. Uh, so he has these sleepless nights as the kids are growing older and the spouse and the kids think all is good because you get to go to Disneyland every, every year. So it all yeah. seems like it's good. You're driving the cars, you're living the lifestyle, but inside he's feeling like he knows inside it's not working. But so, so you, you've got to get that out because as long as there's so mystery in the communication, the, you know, next thing is, yeah, you, you, you have to just account for what you've got. You know, what are your assets? You know, your, 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 your practice, your business, you know, how, you know, how, how healthy is that? How healthy are you? How are you, you know, what can you leverage or better optimize in that practice? Because yes, you know, to maintain a certain lifestyle and have enough to, you know, let go, uh, you're going to probably have to work a few more years. Now to figure out what that looks like, you know, you have to say, well, what's, what's, what's your lifestyle burn rate? What's that look like? What's, you know, if you're done with active practice, you paid off all your debt, and this is what you have. Where do we, where does that need to be deployed to get you what you want? And the the faster you want to get there, or the shorter the time frame that you want to close that gap, you know, the more potential risk slash leverage one has to use. Uh, again, being very careful in the current market, we both know that we're you know we're at the tipping point in the market. We probably had some softening. So do you go out and heavily leverage like we would have three or four years ago? Not the same way. But you and I both know to build anything up and to do it more quickly some amount of leverage has to be used. So yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no one answer for each person. You've got to balance all these different factors uh, in, in play and get, get them on the same page and then just get real about it. Sometimes it means for the next few years, maybe you do cut the lifestyle. Maybe you make your kids go out and actually be resourceful and pay for their, some of their own education. Maybe there's some things you can, you know, again, you've got to be on the same page. Uh, 15, 59 and, and not having a game plan out, that's the tough one. I, I'd much rather be working with a younger person who has got some years to, 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 to work the blueprint. And, and it's, it's an easier pathway if you start early. Right. So you say, take the chance, go from overthinking to dreaming to freedom. Talk about that. 
Yeah, I, well, it, and it's a lot of what you talk about too. You know, we're the way we're brought up um, to be conservative. Uh, we're, 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 we're health practitioners, we're healers. Uh, we have to be conservative uh, because we're dealing with people. But we've got to take that hat off. And I think you've got to have a bigger vision for what you want your life to be. So you got to take the hat off of being conservative and precise and measure everything three times before you cut anything on the human body. Absolutely. But you, for your life, you got to take that hat off. You've got to blow up a bigger vision. You've got to be, you got to have an accurate vision um, of what you want your life to be. And you can't just look out, you know, to age 60 or 65 and go, yeah, when I get there, then I'll do this. No, no, no. No, you've, you've got to, you've got to have milestones much, much sooner. Yeah, sacrifice early, but, you know, give yourself rewards early. Um, have a plan to pay off debt. And there's, you know, you and I both know there's ways to pay off certain debt. Uh, some debt you don't want to ever pay off. You just want to let it run the course and amortize out. Other debt you want to pay off. How do you, how do you pay off debt? How do you build and leverage into your business, your practice? How do you, how do you take the, the money, the funds you, you, you pull off of the, the business, the practice? You know, how do you deploy that? Um, those things have to be put, put, into, put into play very intentionally. Uh, you cannot advocate that responsibility like too many of our colleagues do because that's what, what, what Wall Street says. Hey, no problem. Just give, give us your money. Uh, we'll set your 401k. We got it all planned for you. Uh, just sit back and, and work like a dog. And when, when you get there someday, we'll be there for you. Well, are they? No. I mean, I mean, did they ever come back and say, gee, sorry, it didn't work out? No, they're, usually, they're gone. You, you've got another generation of, of Wall Street people back in there to, to, to take over and uh, to try to give you a different, different outcome. This doesn't work. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that you said there, you're talking about people in the healthcare professionals, in particular in surgeons or dentists or whatever. And really it's, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of really pretty much any high paid professional or high, uh, generally something highly educated. Um, they are afraid to take some risks, think, think outside of the box because, uh, because they are quote unquote conservative. One of the things that I think is important is to define exactly where that notion of conservative came from in the first place, right? Like, what is conservative? Um, you know, I have this, my, my, my brother is a, a, just a, you know, he's, he's a big time a banker and he, he was managing the sovereign wealth fund in the Middle East for one of the countries over there. And he got lured away by an entrepreneurial company in Dubai who said they wanted to, his help to take them public. Well, they came over, plans changed. He came over, plans changed, and um, told him that they didn't need him anymore uh, after about uh, about three or four months on the job. Now, he's doing fine. He's made plenty of money. But the point here is my mom always thinks he's the conservative one, mm. right? Why? Because he's always working for someone and making, uh, making a salary. He's a salary, like a high salary, yeah. right? But who's the conservative? I mean, what's really conservative in this scenario? To me, I'm the conservative one. No one can ever fire me. No one can ever fire me. No one can tell me, you know, like I can, I don't have to all of a sudden wake up one day and say what I thought was reality is no longer reality. And, and that's one of the, I think, paradigm shifts that a lot of people have to make. The same thing goes for mutual funds. Why are we thinking that Wall Street is quote unquote conservative? Right. Why do you think that is? Why do we think that it's conservative? Why do we call it conservative? It's 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 what I call groupthink. It's right. majority thinking. It's it's, right. it's it's what we've been indoctrinated into thinking. It comes from us from so many different media channels. Right. It's just it's how we're brought up. Right. And so if, if quote, everybody else is doing it. In fact, in fact, you know, uh, back in dental school years and years ago, I remember uh, they the school 
you know, trying to help us you know, with, with, with financial planning, brought a financial planning guy into the school. Well, what's, is he, is he going to talk about orchestrating your own future or, or investing in tangible assets like real estate? Heck no. You know, he comes in talking about the traditional stuff. So from very early on, you know, this is what we're taught. So it's, so when anytime that we are presented with something that's different than what we've been brought up to think, then that becomes, um, not conservative. Uh, that becomes right. you know aggressive. That becomes scary. That becomes risky. Right. And, and so that's I think that's what it is, Buck. You're exactly right. You just gotta it's just gotta shift the way people think. Um, it's 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 no more than that. It's 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 just how we're brought up. That's right. And then you gotta just just think about it critically and challenge your own paradigms. To me, working for somebody else is risky. <laughs> so it, it is. Yeah, because because you, you have, yeah you have absolutely no control. I mean, I I was. Early on in my career, I when I first got out of out of school and dental school, I did work for somebody else. I was an associate. I didn't have any financial investment. That was probably a good thing for me to do because right. I didn't. There's so many things I didn't know, right? So I so right. I learned a lot, and I and I had a, you know the basis of a business that I I could actually make money without all the all the risk of all the other financial um, machinations go along with operating a business. But mm -hmm. within a relatively short time. Um, you know, a little bit of chutzpah, right? You know, I could do this better. <laughs> you know, famous last words. No, I mean, but that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So at some point you say, yeah, this is not what I want. I'm not content working for somebody else because you, most of us that are entrepreneurs and are, you know, driven, you know, um, A-type personalities, you know, we want some control. We want to have the, the, the opportunity to take the challenge, to, to, to live a life, to create, to do things bigger, better, whatever we define as, is you know our vision in our life we want to do that we don't want to be under somebody else's thumb that's what drives us we need both kinds of people in this world there's yeah, and, nothing, it, and there's nothing wrong with the other other side it's just it's whoever you are yeah just to be clear i'm not suggesting everybody go quit their job but i think my right. point being that identify what is truly you know what what you call conservative and if you're dictating you know your behavior on on some threshold of risk just make sure that you've calibrated that correctly because that that's a that's a major issue i think for people and and that you know is not just about entrepreneurship that's about what we're discussing here with regard to your investing as well risk is you know in the it's really uh, uh it you know you it just depends whose hands it's in right or whose whose vision it is what mindset you're in um, now let me, uh, let me shift a little bit cause you've got this great group, um, that I hear about a lot of times and it's called freedom founders. Tell us a little bit about freedom founders. Well, freedom founders is a mastermind community. And I emphasize the word community. Uh, it's a little bit like, um, the sitcom, uh, back in the nineties, like cheers, right? So cheers, <laughs> Sam Malone and, and Norm would come in and everybody would go, Hey, Norm, or Hey, Cliff. Right. So it cheers, you know, everybody knows your name. And right. you and I were talking earlier um, about about finding you know the right people uh, to to invest with or through um, you know collaboration. Well, that's what Freedom Founders is. It's a community of people that are like minded, like spirited, but where the same people with with some new people you know will come in, and and so you get to know the people, uh, the people that I have found to collaborate with that bring, I think, very highly curated investment opportunities you know it's kind of a smorgasbord you know all kinds all different geographies different asset classes because i can't provide all that i wouldn't pretend to uh, same thing it's, it's organic so the same people come back and in that community 
you know, we, 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 we beat things up, meaning it's not just about me. I don't, you know, I have biases um, about certain things and, I, and I'm very clear about them. Uh, I, I talk about, you know, what, what I like, what I don't like, but that doesn't mean that my way is the only way. I like to have other smart people that are also part of the group, trusted advisors, board of advisors, uh, who also aren't there with an agenda in mind. They're there because they also like to learn and be a part of a community where we can put our ideas out there uh, or our challenges, our concerns, or, or what do you think about investing in this in the marketplace today? Well, you're gonna hear different, different points of view, right? Because everybody has a different perspective. You get to be in a room like that where you feel like people aren't there just to sell you into something, but actually have perspective and experience you get to actually start again formulating your own 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 path, and that's what it should be. You you know none of us should ever follow one person. You know you're well read, Buck. Uh, you're studied, and I'll bet you're the same way. You know there's there's some people that you find more of an affinity for, right? And you go, sure. well, I like that person because number one, I I think they're right because they have the same beliefs, and also they have a lifestyle and some core values that I also can see. I like that. There may be somebody else on the on the other side who again is very wise and smart. But there may be some parts of their life or other beliefs that you go, you know, I'm not totally bought in. I'll just, I'll, I'll pick and choose. I'll take the pieces that are, that are relevant. And that's why I like a community. It's not one person saying, hey, I know how to do this is the way you do it. Because, you know, there are more, there's more than one way to do anything. Yeah. So Freedom Founders is something that that's, it's become the, you know, kind of the joy of my life. It's a, it's a passion because I love to be around other people. I like to help other people. And, you know, through it, I get to have a platform that I get to invest my money as well. So I, I, I do, I do as I tell the doctors do, this is how I do it today. I don't go out and find my own deals. I don't go out and knock on doors yeah. the way I did when I was younger, right? It's, this is the way I do it. Uh, so I walk the talk and uh, it's, it's, it's right. just, it's a lot of fun. The model is, the model is somewhat similar to my accredited investor group, except I think yours is like sort of more in person and that sort of thing. One of the things that you do in your group, from what I understand, which, which, which um, we don't do in investor club is, um, I've talked to people in your group who've found tremendous value in helping with their practice. Um, mm. So if they're trying to, you know, if they're a dentist, I've talked to a few dentists who've really found tremendous value in what you've been able to do. Tell us about some of the things that you've been able to do with practice. Like what, what, what are, I've never really gotten into the weeds with these people, but that's one of the things I, I hear is a recurring theme from your uh, colleagues. Yeah, and and, and, it, and Freedom Founders didn't start that way. My first vision of Freedom Founders is we're not going to do anything about practice or, you know, it, it's, it's all about investing and particularly through through real estate. That's where my initial focus was. But it didn't take long to see, Buck, that, you know, as, as, as doctors came, uh, they all dragged this thing called a practice along with them. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, 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 they didn't drag it with them. Yeah, I think, sure. you know, again, that's the engine. That's, like the, en- that's the engine. So, so, <laughs> So, so, so I'm not a practice management guy. I mean, I can talk about practice management. I've been there. I've been in the trenches. I've, I've, I've been through mergers and, and sale and associates and partnerships. I've been, you know, I can talk about it. I just, it's not my passion. So, so I realized that I couldn't just ignore this, this ball and chain called a practice that could be optimized so they could get their money invested. So rather than me do it, just like the real estate, uh, because I'm well networked, uh, I, I, I brought in not just one or two, but, you know, so again, so people have a choice, but I, I bring in good people that I know have a great track record in helping with all aspects of practice. And, you know, a lot of it again comes back down to mindset. It comes down to leadership. It comes down to building a culture, you know, all the, all the technology, uh, all that stuff that, that dentists particularly like, we love our toys. We love our toys, right? We like, we like buy all this cool stuff, but, you know, having a business is so many different, different pieces. And I, and I have a real appreciation for a business because with, with Freedom Founders, I mean, I have a, I have a great team. 
have a better team with freedom banners than I ever had in my practice. I wish I knew back then what I know today. I would have had a better practice, right? Yeah, but you know, yeah. you only know what you know. So, so yeah, it's it's a it's we we definitely help them with our practice, but it's through other people. Um, I'll I talk about it. I try to I try to lay the vision for what they need to focus on, but then I help plug them into good people who I know have have the you know are value people. And if they decide to work with them, then that's their deal. Uh, but we have we have a lot of accountability. Uh, you know, I, I I only bring in good people, and they have accountability to our people. Not to give guarantees. There's no guarantees in life, but to provide you know the value, provide the services. Now, then it's up to the individual who wants wants that help to take the action. That's that that's the part that they're responsible for, right? Whether it's in their practice or whether investing money, They've, you've got you've got to take responsibility to step up and, you know, follow a plan or do due diligence, you know, the things that we teach. Right. So David, you've got the, the Dennis freedom blueprint podcast. Uh, you've got the newsletter, you've got uh, freedom founders, mastermind community. Where can we go to learn more about this? Yeah, pro- probably uh, the, the last two places, uh, you know, freedom, freedomfounders.com is the main website for the community. And then the, the Dentist Freedom Blueprint podcast, which you can get off of iTunes, Stitcher, you know, out there with all the podcasts. So those are two good places, I think, for people to engage and, you know, learn more about what we do and, um, you know, get to get to get to hear from great people like you as well. Because I love uh, I, I love, uh, you know, I love exposing people to great people and great ideas. David, thanks so much for being a Wealth Formula podcast today. It's been a pleasure, Buck. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And certainly if you are in the dental world, check out uh, David's stuff. We've got a few people in the group uh, who either are currently part of David's mastermind or have been in the past and um, they have found value. Uh, I think, uh, you know, David runs a very interesting uh, shop out there and, 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 and I think a lot of people get a lot of benefit out of it. Um, I also, let me, let me just do a few things here. Just a little bit of housekeeping. Um, first of all, uh, we have our own mastermind and it's pretty cheap, frankly. So go check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. And it comes with a course. There's this whole, you know, robust course with all these big names to help you get you caught up. And then there is a, you know, uh, a forum, there's a Facebook group now a private Facebook group. Uh, there is bi-weekly mastermind calls. Uh, last week, we actually had Kevin Day as a special guest on it. The week before that, we had Christian Allen. So it is a very useful group. I think people are getting a ton of value at it. So if you're interested in really taking it to the next level with the Wealth Formula uh, brand, then then that would be the place to do it. Um, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And I enjoy having everybody on there. Again, uh, also remind you to leave your questions and comments on SpeakPipe at WealthFormula.com. Uh, we'd love to have you uh, on a, a future uh, show in, in the Ask Buck episodes. And that's it for me this week. This is Buck Joffrey with Wealth Formula Podcast signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at WealthFormula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Safety with Buck Joffrey. 
Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.